don't know if I should record an intro. But here I am. So I've been playing with this idea of starting a podcast for years now. And I'm very much a procrastinator and be like halfway part time shy. So I wasn't really sure if I was ever going to go through with it or what I would talk about. So I'm just going to talk about whatever I want to. Paul Anthony Pierce and ESPN have quote-unquote parted ways. Now, if you don't speak professionalism, then you don't know uh, parted ways is Caucasian American English for fired, let go of, um, shown the door. And no one else is happier than me. Now, unless ESPN finds somebody who agitates me more than Paul Pierce, um, then I can fully enjoy NBA on ESPN and The Jump. Now, before you get on my case about canceling a black man or trying to get folks fired and be happy about people being out of work, this adult site, uh, Cam Soda, whatever that means, has apparently offered him a position of some kind of like NBA streaming show with exotic dancers. And if you're not bilingual, um, exotic dancers uh, indicates a specific type of nude person. Uh, they didn't say strippers, they didn't say go-go dance, exotic dancers, a specific type, which matches the type that was in this Instagram live shenanigan video that he posted or live that he had up so thank you espn congratulations to me for not having to deal with paul pierce on my tv win 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 if for some reason you did not know when it comes to indigenous people the united states of america is very extremely ain't shit um so I saw this article in Smithsonian. Apparently there is uh, an act of Congress. I think it's national. It's called the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. It's about 30 plus years old. Um, so apparently some archaeologists in the Mississippi area got to unearthing stuff and uh, they uncovered some graves, which to me, I get archaeologists um, you know, they, they're digging up stuff, but I just moving, gra- uncovering a grave. It's, it's not something that I don't think I, I could do and just keep going. I get that's their, that's their job is what they do. They uncover graves all the time, but follow me. So they uncovered these, these graves of, um, individuals that they have figured out belong to the Chickasaw nation. Um, and these, remains were kept in storage for decades at the Mississippi Department of Archives of History. I wonder how many other states have archives of history. But anyway, um, and I mean, for decades. Now, this act is 30 plus years old, but I'm not sure what the process is. Um, but anyway, they recently returned uh, 400 and the remains of 403 um, indigenous persons to the Chickasaw Nation. Um, 
Now, since this uh, this 30 plus year old act has been in, there has been like 80,000 some odd remains that have been returned to the nations in which those people belong to. There's still 116,000 that remain in storage at various institutions. And that is the absolute saddest thing. I mean, it's not the worst thing the U.S. has done to the indigenous people, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, Master P is a legend, right? Right. Percy Miller Sr. started off, you know, selling drugs like most most rappers his age did back in the crack era. I think it was crack so. And then he branched out and he was, you know, his hustle game was the rap game. And he put his city on the map in terms of national exposure. But then... Uh, he branched out and did movies, and he was in the NBA for like two seconds. Legend. Well, Master P's still at it. He, um, he has the uh, Master P Reviews, which is an official website, where he reviews small businesses and promotes and supports them and talks about their business and their products and such. He also is still involved in the music game. He, um, he's got, you know, regional artists. There's nothing wrong with being a regional artist. He has, you know, regional artists from New Orleans getting them the exposure that they need and, and getting them distribution deals that are fair, etc. He's uh, partnered with Rap Snacks. I thought he owned Rap Snacks. Apparently he does not. But he does own Rap Noodles. Um, he's got, you know, Uncle P Foods, which has uh, Hootie Who's cereal. Um, they've got a waffle, pancake mix, a syrup um, in response to Aunt Jemima whatever she's calling herself now. He also has Uncle P's rice, you know, uh, as an alternative to Uncle Ben. Um, he also has a partnership with Rouse's Grocery Store, which is a regional grocery store, which I thought was more like in the Florida area, but I, maybe they're in New Orleans, um, to provide groceries to these, uh, this elderly living facility. Um, he's getting involved into the legal cannabis game uh, and he also launched this business called Basta Bank, which um, is supposed to be an alternative to Cash App. Uh, he also has this Be the Change initiative to get minority-owned foods into HEB grocery stores. HEB is a regional chain that's, um, I know it's in Texas and Louisiana, um, to, to get minority-owned food companies, get them, you know, in the stores. Um, what else does he do? Well, he has a lot of kids. Um, I think he's got like nine or ten. They are Percy Jr., which is Lil Romeo slash Romeo, whatever he goes by now. And he has uh, Versi, not to be confused with Vino, and Hersey and Mercy. And what I'm talking about, I'm talking about Hersey more so for this story. Okay, so Hersey and Mercy attend this school called Minnehaha Academy in Minnesota. So hold on to Minnehaha, because we'll come back to it. Um, and Hersey is a senior, and Versi is a freshman. Hersey um, has received some D1 offers. I don't know how top-ranked of a player that he is. Uh, Minnehaha is like a top-ranked program, um, but... Again, we'll get to them later. 
And so Hersey has decided he is committing to an HBCU. He's going to go to Tennessee State. So back in this past summer, 2020, um, some things kind of changed within our, well, not really changed. Basically, the murder of George Floyd sparked, re-sparked some already present racial tensions in the country. And so you had a couple things happen. There was this top-ranked uh, high school basketball player um, from the class of 2023, a freshman at the time, named Mikey Williams. And Mikey Williams went to, I think it's pronounced San Ysidro? In San Diego, he was at school there and he was top ranked. And he stated uh, in like June that he would strongly consider going to an HBCU. Um, and then after that, you have this player named Maker, Maker, M-A-K-U-R, M-A-K-E-R, who uh, was a top ranked player. I'm not sure what his high school was, but he committed to Howard. Um, it didn't quite work out well. You know, he had a groin injury for the first two games, and Howard eventually canceled the season because of COVID. But I'm, I'm thinking he's going to come back, possibly, for another year. And then, just like, a couple weeks after he decided he was going to commit to Howard, Mikey said that there's five HBUs in his top ten. You have North Carolina Central, um, Alabama State, Texas Southern, Hampton, and Tennessee State. Now, I'm not sure exactly... Uh, what his final decision is going to be. He's just in the 10th grade. Uh, but Mikey is like that dude for his class. He is, or one of that, one of those dudes for his class, I should say. He uh, transferred to a high school in North Carolina in Charlotte called uh, Lake Norman. But he's, ESPN has him ranked number five in his class. He's the number one player for his position. He's a, a two guard, a shooting guard. And he's the number one player from his state of North Carolina. But He's seriously considering it. It's, I mean, half of his top 10 are HBCUs. It could be a thing. And I think we're going to see a lot more, um, a lot more black players, high school players, top ranked, deciding to go the HBCU route because there's already this um, feeling of understanding that you are the product, you are the cash cow of these, these colleges. You're not getting paid for that year or two or however long you're going to be there if you're not going to, you know, if you're not going for a degree, basically, you're playing for free. You may as well play for a school that represents who you are and, and be in, a, in an environment where you can learn from people who look like you and experience things the way that you experience them and people you can relate to and learn about your people on a different level. So I think we're going to see more of that. Uh, but a word about Minnehaha. So um, it's in Minnesota. You know, Master P is, is from Louisiana. I believe all his kids were born in New Orleans. Um, but, you know, you have a community of uh, parents who, you know, get their kids to the prep schools that give them what they need and get them with the right people so they, you know, know the right people to get where they want to be in terms of athletics. So Hersey and Mercy go to Minnehaha. Right now, Minnehaha has the number one ranked um, senior Chet Holmgren, real tall, skinny white dude. He's like 7'1", like 160-ish pounds, soaking wet. But he's the number one player of his class. I don't believe he has declared for a school yet. But so far, none of Minnehaha's players have made it to the NBA. I don't think they started out as, you know, being a basketball prep school. But um, 
so far, Chet Holmgren is like their number one pick. Also, um, a former player of theirs uh, is Mr. Jalen Suggs, who plays for Gonzaga. Um, and we'll talk about Gonzaga in a minute. But uh, he's a top five projected lottery pick for this upcoming draft. So maybe now this is the beginning of their like era as a basketball prep school, the way that like Oak Hill is. And what's the other one? I can't think of the other ones, but you know what I'm talking about. So I think Chaminade, if they're not Chaminade, yeah, I think they're considered. Oh, that's a college. Disregard that. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so um, kudos to Hersey and Mocker and Mikey and Minnehaha and all them. But that's my masterpiece slash basketball story, kind of sorta. This Echo Wasp thing just has me. Like they just have me. ECOWAS, for those of you just tuning in, uh, stands for the Economic Community of West African States. And there's a whole spiel, Venezuela, whatever, whatever. I'll cover that in bits and pieces. Um, but in me trying to ascertain how they felt bold enough to ask for money in this court case, um, I tried to figure out what the hell they were. So uh, I saw recently, and I don't remember where I got this from, they are attempting to introduce a new type of currency within their region called the ECO or the ECO. It's spelled E-C-O. Um, but they very much fashion themselves after the European Union. So ECOWAS is basically like the European Union of West Africa. But they specifically are supposed to be just, you know, in terms of the monies between those agencies. Um, which further complicates, I mean, further frustrates and confuses me as it pertains to this Venezuelan case. But anyway, the way I'm trying, I'm thinking about it is like, it would be like um, Denmark making an arrest and then the highest court, if there are courts, of the European Union stepping in and then demanding the release of that person and also payment directly to the EU, right? Um, it would be like the United States making an arrest and then the highest court of the Organization of American States, the OAS, uh, demanding release and money. And I tried to find instances where that had actually occurred. And of course I could not. The closest I found was in something very recent uh, in March, March 6th of this year, the OAS demanded the release of a political prisoner of Nicaragua. This person uh, was imprisoned, or these people, I'm sorry, were imprisoned before their election. Um, they also demanded, uh, or I'm sorry, they requested, it's an important word here, requested the Inter-American Commission for Human Rights to be allowed back into the country. Now, these are requests. They did demand the release of the political prisoners, but they requested for this other agency to come in. They never requested money. They never demanded payment. Um, so I, I just don't understand how ECOWAS can ask for $200,000 directly to them from Cape Verde because of this Alex Saab case. Mind-blowing. I'm still going to keep in t um, up with it because, like I said, they have me. They have my, they had my undivided attention, and I don't know why. But there's that. The pro-socialist website that I went to specifically talks about um, 
Cape Verde, Cabo Verde, I'm sorry, making an arrest on Alex, on Alex Saab without the red notice from the Interpol. And I was like, well, what the hell is that? So I looked it up. And so per Interpol's website, an Interpol notice is an international request for cooperation or an alert allowing police in member countries to share critical crime-related information. And they have these two colors, of course, yellow and red. Yellow notice is a global police alert to help locate missing persons. And the red notice is um, to seek the location and arrest of persons wanted for prosecution or to serve a sentence. Um, alerts the police worldwide about internationally wanted fugitives. So I kind of get what they're saying about there was no Interpol red notice. But that's an Interpol thing. You can still have um, some sort of extradition agreement between two different countries without Interpol being involved, I think. Now, I'm no foreign policy expert, I think. Um, but we're going to talk more about Cabo Verde and their extradition in just a minute. But, yeah, I, I don't see how the... Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. But anyway, yeah, that's what the Interpol notice thing is about. Y'all ready? Okay, back to Alex Saab. This is why I say it's important to get your news from multiple places, because had I not looked at this article from the Associated Press and only all the other six or seven articles that I already read, I would not be privy to all of this information I'm about to just throw out there. Okay, so first thing, the Supreme Court in Cabo Verde is not the supreme, supreme, the final decision-making court. They have something called the Constitutional Court, and I tried to find information on it, but I couldn't. I, I couldn't figure out what they hear, why they hear it, what their process is. But anyway, Alex Saab, uh, his uh, Cabo Verdean attorney, um, is going to appeal the decision by the Supreme Court against extradition. He's going to take it to the Constitutional Court. Um, there is apparently a law in place in Cabo Verde that if a suspect is going to face a life or death sentence, a life sentence or death sentence, then their, their extradition is forbidden. It's in their law. And so he's saying that there's no way possible that, the, that Cabo Verde can guarantee that the U.S. is not going to sentence him to a life sentence or a death sentence because of his charges. Um, also, in the article, I'm not sure if this is coming from the lawyer or just the, the journalist doing their job, their investigation, uh, Saab was not listed as a passenger on this flight. Um, I wonder who else was on the plane, because, I mean, he was just going to exchange, I guess, the rest of his staff, whatever. Um, they're saying that that was to keep his movements a secret from the U.S. because Venezuela and Iran are both heavily sanctioned countries. And we'll get back to those sanctions in a minute. Um, so because uh, he didn't commit a crime in Cabo Verde, um, his lawyers are saying that this is an arbitrary detention. You just you have no reason to detain him, much less extradite him. Um, and so what the charge is, actually, it's money laundering. And I want to get back into, I'm going to further look into this because I'm fully invested. This indictment is about $350 million dollars supposedly that he uh, stole from a, a low-income housing project that was never built. I don't understand how the U.S. is involved in this. B 
because this is a Venezuelan case. This is a Venezuelan uh, project on Venezuelan soil, and he operates Venezuelan companies. I don't know how the U.S. is involved in this, and I'm really interested in that. But anyway, because of these uh, Trump administrative sanctions that the Biden administration has not lifted a finger to dismiss or try to get cleared up, uh, Saab's company basically has been, his private companies have been acting as middlemen um, because the U.S. sanctions, by the way, they are against their food program, um, their oil embargo. They've got secondary sanctions, you know, sanctioning people and companies who work with Venezuela and purchase Venezuelan oil. Any asset that is Venezuelan, that the Venezuelan government claims that is not on Venezuelan soil, the U.S. government is seizing. Um, and so the government has actually filed a lawsuit in the International Criminal Court um, saying that the U.S. is basically unnecessarily punishing the Venezuelan people with these severe sanctions and that this is a crime against humanity. But because of these sanctions, Alex Saab has been able to have his private corporations kind of serve as a workabout to get, or they're supposed to be securing food and housing and such for the Venezuelan people. Um, and he's been able to secure these contracts. Now, the contracts are for a housing, which the U.S. claims he's not building. He's just taking money. Uh, mining. And I wonder what they're mining because the oil fields have been taken over by foreign firms. I wonder if his company is one of those firms and why it's considered foreign if it's in Venezuela. Something to think about. And food. And some of the critics of his program are saying that the food inflation prices are so severe and they're coming without warning. And so that's why they think there's a lot of corruption going on. Um, but back to this, uh, I lost my train of thought. But anyway, yeah, I don't understand how the U.S. has a case over something that is completely Venezuelan. I'm going to dig deeper into that. I love pasta. I have a carb thing. I love potatoes in every form. I love bread and I love pasta. So Dan Poshman, I'm going to say that's the pronunciation. He created the quote unquote perfect pasta shape. It's called Casta, no, Cascatelli. Cascatelli. Um, and he says it's perfect. I don't know who he went in. Uh, in bed with in terms to make it uh, and, and engineer the shape of it. He's saying it's perfect because of the sauceability, the the ability to hold on to a sauce, the forkability-ness or forkability, I added the nest part, huh, um, of, you know, how the fork can hold on to the pasta and also the tooth sinkability of the pasta. And because I'm a fat girl through and through, I said, well, let me see how I can get some cascatelli so I can tell all my homegirls to go get it. I'm a right. Hey, it's sold out. But it's $4.50 American cents per pound. And as long as it's that price, I can assure you I will never know anything about it. When the market pantry people come along and make me... Um, a cascatelli for a fraction of the cost and maybe we'll talk about it but yeah there's a new pasta shape out there and it's 
something that if you feel bougie enough, you can try. And if you do try it, let me know how it turns out. Thank you. Quarterback news, quarterback news, quarterback news. Sam Donald was traded from the New York Jets to the Carolina Panthers. I don't know who he was traded for or what they got. Um, I'm not really sure how that, I mean, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's his opportunity to prove that he is a franchise quarterback. They have a better receiving core, better re- protection. I love Teddy Bridgewater, but I think he's best as a backup quarterback. I, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but that's the role for him. Um, but I think this is a defining moment for Sam because you look at the top three quarterbacks chosen in his draft. Baker Mayfield finally got the Browns to the quarter to the uh, playoff. Um, Josh Allen was this close to going to the Super Bowl. I think Sam Darnold, he has to prove that, you know, he's as good as people thought he was. And this is the opportunity to do that with a new coach, new city, new teammates, whatever. But um, the Panthers are in the NFC South. I had to Google this. As much as I love football, I don't know who's in what division. I don't really care that much. You've got the Falcons. Uh, you've got the New Orleans Saints who have this weird quarterback competition. And you have the Tampa Bay Bucks with the Tom Brady. Um, so the division is, um, okay, whatever. But we'll see what Sam Donald does in, in Carolina. Um, he's probably going to look real funny looking in that uniform. But whatever, there it is. So in a previous episode, uh, I said that I saw that Tanzania was listed as a socialist nation that belonged to the UN. And that just didn't sit right with me, so I started looking into it. And I couldn't find any concrete evidence that Tanzania is currently a socialist nation. I think they probably had some socialist-like policies, um, but they're, I mean, they have a parliament, they have a president, whatever. They do have some socialist political parties, but what country doesn't? So partial clarification on Tanzania. This ECOWAS business has me thinking about international government organizations. And, you know, the U.S. likes to be in folks' business. So I went and looked at how many IGOs the U.S. was involved with. Um, 79. 79. Now, some of them are sub-organizations. Like, we're, we're part of a bunch of organizations that fall up under the U.N., like, in addition to being a part of the U.N. itself. And also the World Bank. Like, there's a couple different sub-organizations of the World Bank that we're involved in. Now, three that we are not involved in were interesting to me. The International Criminal Court, which is weird because Venezuela is suing us in the International Criminal Court, and I wonder how that works. Like, how could they, how does that work? Like, can we sue a country that's not a member of the UN, like, within a court system within the UN? I wonder how that works and what the actual authority is. But anyway, another one that we're not in is the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization called UNESCO, and also the United Nations Human Rights Council. Now, the reason that we're not involved with either one of those is supposedly because of their hostility towards Israel. And I wonder why the U.S. feels like we have to be the big brother to Israel. I, I wonder what that's about. I want to dig further into that. But those are the three IGOs we are not um, 
we're not in cahoots with. Okay, so I forgot. With the IGOs, some of them I didn't scroll through. I might make that a mini project to see which one of them stick out to me and see what the hell's going on with them. But there, we are a part of one that's like for scouts, like Boy Scouts. But like the U.S. government is a member, like like state governments are members of this World Scouting Association. It sounds very strange. I might look into that later, but there's that. Quick question. When did corporate sponsorship take over the National Hockey League divisions? I mean, I never really paid that much attention to hockey to notice, but today I looked because I wondered where hockey season was. Um, Okay, so you have the Honda West division, which the teams that I pay attention to in that division would be the Vegas Knights, who are ranked number two right now, and the LA Kings, who are ranked number seven. Then you have the Discover Central Division. My first love, the Chicago Blackhawks, are in fifth place. Jesus. Then you have the Scotia North Division. Not Nova Scotia, but Scotia Bank, okay? Which contains all of the Canadian teams. And then you have the Mass Mutual East Division, which contains the basically all the teams that I really know from Wauketon Hockey. Anytime I turn on the TV and hockey's there, it's usually these teams. So you've got the Capitals, the New York Islanders, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Boston Bruins, the New York Rangers. Ooh, I almost called them the Yankees, Lord. The Philly Flyers, the New Jersey Red Devils, and the Buffalo Sabres. But yeah, I did not know that corporate sponsorship has taken over the division titles. And I wonder if there's another professional baseball, I mean, Lord, a professional sports league that's going to cover it. I'm talking about baseball in a second, so there's that. But, yeah, I, I wonder if other leagues are going to um, allow that because, I mean, hey, they all about a dollar. Why not? So for some reason, one of my televisions was on this Spanish-speaking um, network. I think it was Univision, but it could have been Telemundo. I think it was Telemundo. And it was the news. And this video disturbed me so bad. I didn't know what was going on besides seeing this lady um, face down on the concrete or on the road or something and she was not moving. So when I saw this article, I immediately knew what it was in reference to. So this uh, Salvadoran woman, um, Victoria Salazar, 36 years old, was killed in Mexico in handcuffs by the police. This female officer with uh, three other men standing around her knelt on her back while she was face down and barefoot in handcuffs. And it's all on tape. It's all on video. Um, it was recorded. It's very, it's very reminiscent of the George Floyd murder, which we see now playing out in, in court. It was condemned in Mexico and Salvador, or I'm sorry, and El Salvador. Uh, there has been protests. Um, the officers have been charged with femicide. All four officers were charged, and they are in jail and for the duration of their, for the duration of the trial. Um, but Miss Salazar was um, buried back in her hometown of Sonsonate. I don't know how it's pronounced. But she was buried back home in El Salvador, and she leaves behind her mother, 
and her two daughters, 15 and 16 years of age. So in pointless news that I found that I am intrigued in, um, researchers have found a way to make beef uh, more eco-friendly. There's study that I'm sure costs millions of dollars um, has found that if you feed beef cattle one and a half to three ounces of seaweed once a day for 21 days, it reduces the methane output via burping by 82%. First of all, I just want to know what intern had to measure the amount of methane which is probably why they limited it to burps, because I know cows fart. It has nobody to eat that much lettuce and green stuff doesn't fart. Anywho, um, but that would make a sizable dent in the country's greenhouse gas emissions, uh, which is a reason that some people don't eat beef because of the you know the methane and damaging the ozone, whatever. Um, now a similar study a couple years ago, uh, however said that if you give dairy cows kind of the same amount of red kelp specifically, um, it also reduced their methane output, but it decreased the milk production. So farmers didn't go for that because why increase the, the amount it takes to feed the animal and then get less milk in the end? Um, but for the beef cattle, they found that the kelp, I mean, the, uh, the seaweed doesn't affect their weight gain. But I'm wondering if it's going to affect the color of the beef, the texture, how much money it's going to cost because it's an increase in the cost of production. Um, and also um, the taste. I remember reading a story years ago about some 4-H students in, I think it was Florida, but I'm not exactly sure. They fed their pigs, either pigs or cows. They fed their livestock a diet of acorns and they found that it affected the taste of whatever the meat was. Um, and I wonder if the seaweed would somehow affect the taste of the beef. But also, if we're feeding all of our beef cattle seaweed, how is that going to affect the population of seaweed? Like certain uh, species of seaweed is already endangered, rare, how much of a dent would that make in seaweed conservation efforts if we start feeding dairy cattle three ounces a day? You get what I'm saying? But that's the random stuff I was on today, so enjoy. Baseball season started, um, and true to form, the Atlanta Braves started with a loss to the Nationals. Um, the Braves always manage to stab me in the heart right when I believe in them. And every season I say I'm not going to pay them any attention until the postseason, but I'm lying. I'm probably going to keep up with the Braves. Not every game, because there's like a million games in the regular season. But yeah. Also, there was a quote-unquote bench clearing between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Chicago Cubs. It wasn't really a bench clearing. It was like one little shove. Um, it was in the ninth inning. The game was already over. The Cubs lost 4-0. So, but if you did not know, I enjoy fisticuffs in my sports. I shouldn't, but I do. I love it. I love a real good pushing, shoving match. If you're going to throw punches, I'm all about it. Not every game, but like, you know, 
Give me, give me some action. Um, I wish the U.S. would mind our business sometimes. Just sometimes. Um, Bishop Joseph Robinette Biden Jr.'s administration mm -hmm, has asked the uh, Saudi Arabian government to release political prisoners. And the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mr. Mohammed bin Salman, has replied that they don't have political prisoners in his country. Specifically, Biden's people were talking about this aid worker, uh, Abdul Raham, or no, I said that way wrong, Abdul Rahman al Saddam, probably still wrong, but we'll go with it. Uh, they sentenced this man to 20 years in prison and then 20 year travel ban. And they believe it was due to like a troll Twitter account that was like poking fun at the government. Um, and I was like, well, what the hell is an aid worker? So an aid worker is somebody on some kind of humanitarian effort that's handing out food and medical supplies in like uh, a zones of conflict or in a developing nation. And um, I mean, I don't, what this got to do with us? I, I, you know, we, we have people in jail also on some bullshit charges. I just feel like we should let Saudi Arabia handle their thing and not get involved because I think that the relationship between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia is probably always going to be, you know, walking on eggshells. Let's not, let's not get involved in this. Let's sit this one out. Sunday, this Sunday, April 11th, 2021, 8 o'clock post Meridian Eastern Standard Time. NBA TV is going to air this documentary called Ready or Not. And it's about the draft of 1996, which is one of three most significant drafts in basketball. This draft was so important to the furtherance of the game of basketball. First of all, it's the 50th draft in the NBA. I'm going to read to you the top 15 picks of that draft. Allen Iverson, Marcus Camby, Sharif Abdurrahim, Stephon Marbury, Ray Allen, Antoine Walker, Lorenzen Wright, Carrie Kittles, Samaki Walker, Eric Dampierre, Todd Fuller, Vitaly Potapenko, Potapenko, I can never say his name right. Kobe Bryant, Peja Stoyakovich, and Steve Nash. Revolutionary draft. And when I said one of the three most important, there's a debate as to who, which draft is the most important. The 1984 draft, which was the MJ draft, and the 2003 draft, which was the Carmelo Anthony and all of the three kings of the Miami Heat, LeBron, Bosch, Andy Wade. So I'm for sure going to be watching. I don't give a damn what else is going on. I'm going to be watching that, and I expect it to be superbly done. Watch it. COVID rant incoming. So for some reason, the World Health Organization has decided to release their findings of their initial investigation 
about the source of COVID-19. And it is exactly what most people thought it was when most of the scientists said it came from a whole year plus ago when COVID-19 first became a thing over here. Per WHO, that's the World Health Organization, they believe it came from possibly a bat because bats carry different types of coronaviruses. And then somehow it transmitted to an intermediate animal, which they state as a quote-unquote farm animal. If you don't know what that means, farm animals are animals for consumption. Now, what type of farm animals are we talking about here? Mink, pangolin, which is an anteater, if you didn't know, a civet, which is another type of mink-like mammal, and raccoon dogs, which look exactly like the name indicates. And then from the farm animals to the humans. Now, they went on a limb and said that people were sick before this massive spreading event at this wet market in Wuhan. They're not willing to say it came directly from there. They're saying people were sick before then, but that's where the, the major spreading event kicked off. I don't understand why it is so difficult to say that up front because, I mean, scientists and doctors were telling us back in March that this is exactly where it came from. The ingestion of, they were saying, mostly pangolins uh, back then is what caused the COVID in humans. I don't understand what the harm is in saying that clearly. You wait in two years, tell us some shit we figured out for ourselves. Anyways... But to me, this, it's very similar to Ebola. Now, Ebola was a bat thing, and then it became like a, a non-human primate thing. And then through the consumption of the non-human primates, it you know jumped to people. But I double-checked. And the CDC, I think that's where I got it from, is still completely on some bullshit about the Ebola. Now, they're saying it wasn't, it isn't contracted through food, but you can be get it from eating contaminated bush meat and wild game that has it. How does it not contractable through food if me eating certain shit will give me what that thing had? How can you eat something and it not be food? Like, talk to me like I'm not a stupid idiot. Like, I, I was so angry reading this. I, I was, I don't understand. I was so mad reading this irrationally angry that you wasted all of this time to tell us absolutely nothing new absolutely nothing new we knew it came from bats we knew it came from pangolins we didn't know about the mink civet or the raccoon dog but uh, do we really care at this point and we knew that that's how we got COVID that's new we knew that's where it came from and we knew the wet market in Wuhan was the the ground zero the main events of humans spreading it every which away Cut the bullshit, please, and thank you. Okay, Grant Hill, who, if you did not know, is fine as frog hair, has been named the managing director of USA Basketball Men's National Team. Um, I love Grant Hill. I love everything about Grant Hill. I think he would have been such a dominant player if he wasn't so injury prone. Um... I love his basketball commentary. He speaks from a place of basketball knowledge and not like he's not competing with the people that he's commentating on. You get what I'm saying? Um, 
He's part owner of the Atlanta Hawks, for what that's worth. But I got to stop shitting on the Hawks because they are right now fourth in the Eastern Conference. So, you know, but congratulations to Grant Hill. Um, just, just such a fine, just good looking man. Mm. I know I said that I don't watch women's basketball, but can we talk about the discrepancy between the men and the women's championship game? Uh, because I saw both. Now, the women's game, Arizona versus Stanford, I watched from like half, well, not even halfway. I watched basically the whole second half. And it was such a good game. Great back and forth, scrappy, competitive. And the game I was looking forward to, the men, Baylor and Gonzaga, absolute trash. Now, the game was over like five minutes into the game. Like, it was 11-1, and one, and I said, oh, this is over with. It just, such a discrepancy between the two teams. I would not, I just did not expect Gonzaga to be so outworked. But I should have, though, because the UCLA game, they had a lot of trouble. I didn't think they should have had. I think that UCLA probably should have came back and won that. Like, the last, Jalen Suggs, monster. I mean, monster. It was a good game, you know, winning their overtime and all that, but I should have known they were going to have problems with Baylor based off of the UCLA game. Uh, yeah, it wasn't what I wanted to see, not for a championship game anyway. But the women, from from being shitted on by the NCAA for their the food and the uh, training equipment to being able to produce such a good product for free, um outstanding outstanding it was such a good game I'm still probably not going to watch men's basketball but you know it was a good game Kevin Durant was fined $50,000 by the NBA um over some IG posts or some messages on IB between he and an actor Michael Rappaport I don't care enough about either one of those to read the actual DM um I don't know if I want to go into how I don't agree with uh sports leagues professional leagues finding players for shit they do away from the game um but yeah they find him 50,000 it's not a lot of money to him at all and his apology is so nonsense like he apologized that people saw that from him he didn't apologize for it or say, you know, I was wrong for using this type of language. He was like, yeah, I'm sorry that, I, that y'all, not even, I'm sorry, I think he just said, I hate that people saw that side of me or something. It wasn't a real apology, um, but the fine is not really a fine for him. Again, I don't think these leagues should be fining people for stuff they do away from the game. That's just my personal opinion. Take it how you want to take it. Um, yeah. Once I found out it was baseball season, I decided to check on uh, American soccer because usually those are like neck and neck. And the season has not started yet, so I haven't missed any real action. Um, it starts April 16th. But the Atlanta United team, they had a friendly. No, it's not a friendly. They were playing in the CONCACAF Champions League, and they won. They beat somebody. But, uh, yeah, so MLS season is, is upon us. There's rumblings of a change to the NBA's coaches challenge. And I thank God because when they first brought it in, I was frustrated because I wanted it to go 
kind of the way that football coaches challenges went. I just don't understand the purpose of me having a challenge, but whether I win it or I lose it, I lost my challenge. So the proposed changes is that A, if you win the first challenge, you get a second one, or B, you win the challenge and you don't lose the timeout. I would prefer that they get a second challenge. Like if I win my first challenge, then I should get another one to use. And uh, yeah, so hopefully that goes through and they implement that like right away. Like if they start doing that in the playoffs, which they won't, but I'm saying if they do, I would be a happy fan. Change that now. Frank Vogel, the coach for the Los Angeles Lakers, says that the team feels like they should win every night without LeBron and AD. And by all means, be confident in yourself. I'm all for that. And I didn't look to see when, like if he was asked a question about it, because I'm hoping he didn't just offer this up because it sounds like madness. Again, confidence is key, have that. But let's take a look at their roster. Costas Antetokounmpo, who never sees the court, Devontae, Casas? Kasek? I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I, somebody called him Devontae Cook, but I'm sure that's wrong. It just looks wrong. And then you have uh, KCP, Alex Caruso, Andre Drummond, who I believe, I believe is still not back from the, the toe thing. Uh, Jared Dudley, is he injured? I haven't seen him for a while, I think. Mark Gasol, which was a failed mission. I think it's okay for everybody to say that. Failed mission, especially because Drummond's coming in to take over his spot. Montrez Harrell, who is not quite Patrick Beverly levels of all black Air Forces, but he's neck and neck. Like, what would be the backup black Air Force? Is it the mid-top? Whatever it is, Montrez Harrell is that, which is his job. That's literally what he's there for. Um, but that's what he is. Uh, then you have Talon Horton Tucker, who I don't give a damn what's on his birth certificate. He's not 19 or 20. I need to see his dental records. Um, Kyle Kuzma, who I love because his defensive game has developed so well, but he's so inconsistent with sh- with scoring. Like whenever they need him to be the option one, he plays like the option three. Whenever you want him to be the option three, he becomes the option. I don't know. I just it frustrates me because I want him to win. But again, I love his defensive um, development. They have Wes Matthews, another failed mission. Uh, it just it didn't work out. Alfonso McKinney, who I forgot about. I know he won with Golden State. I know technically he won with Toronto, but I don't really know if he was like contributing in Toronto. So I don't know what that's about. They just got Ben. McLemore, I'm not sure how that's going to work out. Uh, Markeith Morris, I absolutely love the Morris twins, and no slander will be tolerated. Dennis Schroeder, uh, I'm not sure what they thought they were going to get there, but I don't see whatever they think it is. I don't see it. Interestingly enough, they did win uh, against the lowly Raptors, who are nowhere near a 500 team. Um, and Schroeder kind of got tossed around on the court by uh, OG Ananobi, and then Trez popped up there like, you know, a black Air Force and got kicked out the game and was, like, pissed that he got kicked out. But anyway, 
I don't see how this team I mean I get again confidence is key but I don't see how this team as it's constructed without LeBron and AD should have that much confidence every night that they can win uh nah whatever you were doing at 17 does not top Deja Taylor at 17 um Deja Taylor attends Iowa City West High School in Iowa City Iowa she invented color-changing sutures that detect infection at um, surgical sites. Uh, first of all, she taught herself how to stitch sutures, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and this started as a science fair project. Now, I don't know about you, but my science fair projects were the absolute bare minimum. So she got this idea learning about these quote-unquote smart sutures, which basically are coated in this like uh, electrical conductive material that sends information to your tablet or your smartphone. But she recognized that this does not serve all of the medical community. Um, specifically, C-sections, um, cesareans in African countries, 20% of African mothers who have C-sections develop some type of infection post-op. And she recognized that this whole smart suture thing was not um, economically feasible in certain portions of the world. So she was trying to find an alternative um, for those patients. And she developed the color using like beetroot dye, I think they said. Uh, more about Deja, she, before COVID, she was a member of a Black History game show club at her school. And she also advocated um, for anti-racist curriculum at, you know, student teacher, I mean, parent teacher, whatever the type of rallies and school meetings, which I think is awesome. Um, I looked this up through smithsonianmagazine.com or Smithsonian Mag, whatever it is, their article on her. Uh, you can actually see that article. It's very long. It's, it's pretty in-depth and cool, I think. Um, also, there's a video, this country called Regeneron. She's actually one of their finalists for 2021. And their YouTube channel, she has a video. It's called Meet Regeneron STS 2021 Finalist Deja Taylor. Uh, if you want to check that out, I think that's amazing. Thank you for making it to the end of my personal experiment. Hopefully, I will get the cojones to continue doing this and continue improving. If you have a weird random topic that you think I might be interested in or a sports topic that isn't covered by like those major networks who only cover LeBron James and the Cowboys, you know what I'm talking about. Um, let me know. I'd love to give my half a cent's worth of commentary on it. Thanks.